This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and a hearty welcome to Running Together. We are now into autumn with the wonderful colours it brings, the scrunch of the fallen leaves underfoot. The cross-country season is starting. This means that, with the seasonal nature of many sports, track and field has ended for, at least in New Zealand, for 2022-2023. It brings a welcome break from the intense competing and coaching of my guests today. A power couple of brilliant performers, Sam and Angie Petty, personify the love of running and the support that each of us needs to perform at our best. Angie is an Olympian, having represented Aotearoa New Zealand in 2016. Sam has an impressive running credentials of his own, especially in the 800 metres, the signature event of his wife. Together, they have teamed up to create an innovative coaching service. I am keen to find out more about this dynamic duo. Angie and Sam, welcome to Running Together. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. You recently celebrated the first birthday of an addition to Team Petty, Azalea. Can you share with me what impact that has had on your lives? Yeah, it's been a really huge impact, an amazing impact that we have dreamed about for a long time. Um, I guess we've both always wanted to be parents. One day it was just a matter of when, and uh, we did take a wee while to conceive. We took a year to to get pregnant with Azalea, um, so I guess it made it even more special when we found out. And yeah, um, it's just been incredible to become parents and very busy and tiring at times with the broken nights, but we are loving it. There's obviously the multiple fronts of... Having the child is, with Azalea as the general parenting front of us, working out how to organise ourselves with a child in our life and all of the additional demands but fun that we have having Azalea with us. But then also for us, working out how we continue sport. And there's certainly been a number of different sort of balances and at times compromises to be able to fit in to do that. No, that's right. I think, but that's you know what yeah, I guess you you go into it knowing that might be very different. But I think that's really good for us because I guess you know at times you can be a bit selfish as a runner, but usually in a good way. But now it means that really we don't really have much free time, and if you do have that, of course it's on Azalea. But that's the most special thing ever. Yeah, definitely. Um, commute training has become very important. <laughs> Biking and running to to and from things. So. Yeah, yeah, it's trying to maximise the time, mm. isn't it? I suppose yeah. it makes it a little bit all the more precious, which is to your point, wasn't it, Angie? That's and right. And also to yours, mm. as far as uh, Sam, as far as making sure whatever time I am spending, it's not sitting in a car on my bottom, you know, mm. uh, in a traffic jam somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a lot more productive, and of course it makes you realise that at the end of the day, yes, running is important, but the most important thing is to be good parents. So it makes me not worry about little things. In a way, it's been, it's been really good for my running. So let's go back to your early days in running, Sam. Mm-hmm. What or who got you involved in running and what kept you involved? I think I just really wanted to run. <laughs> I did my first little race when I was like two at the local fate. <laughs> now that's you. Yeah. <laughs> the first one I remember was three, the same one the next year, but I came like last the first time I did it in the under fives race. 
And then I just kind of nagged my parents to let me join a running club. And because my dad was uh, helping out as a coach there, I was allowed to join one year early at seven years old. And yeah, just stayed in involved really ever since but because my dad has always been interested in athletics it helped sort of supplement that interest that I grew myself and yeah he was good at sprints like 100 and 200 which I'll probably never beat as sprint times because my sprint's not great but <laughs> I don't know it wasn't so much wanting to necessarily do what he did I think as a kid I was probably a bit over competitive and I enjoyed running and I really wanted to win at stuff so yeah that's what kind of kept me going when I was young I'm curious about the similarities with your journey, Angie. Yeah, so I guess started pretty young as well, but not as young. Um, I don't remember running it too. Sam's got a very long-term memory. fantastic memory. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, I think I used to enjoy it, school athletics, from the age of five and did quite well at school cross-country, school athletics day. Um, One of the teachers actually said to my mum, she was a a, a mother of a, a... an older boy who ran very well, very competitively. And she said, you know, I think your, your daughter's got quite a talent. Apparently this was when I was only five or six at school cross country. But my advice would be make sure she didn't get too kind of pushed into it too young because mm. she'd seen a lot of kids do that and then kind of burn out. So my mum took that advice. and So I did join a club when I was 10, but it was later than maybe it would have done otherwise. And when I was 10, it was still very casual, the North Canterbury Athletic Club, because we moved out to Rangiura when I was nine after living in Christchurch. But then got a, a coach, Maria Hassan, when I was 13 in, in the North Canterbury Athletic Club. And then I changed clubs when I went in, back and moved into town for university as I got older. But So yeah, Maria was my coach right through from a wee 13-year-old to all the way to the Olympics in 2016. Um, and then I did actually get another coach just because I wanted to try something different and maybe move overseas and have like some other older athletes to train with because a lot of the athletes were younger back then when I was training um, in the squad. So I moved to Danny Mackey, who's based out of Seattle for the Brooks base. He coached me for a couple of years, but in the end it didn't work out with us moving over there. So long distance coaching was okay, but not the ideal. So then Sam mm-hmm. started coaching me. And just recently, since having Where's Alia, um, Maria's now coaching me again. So I've gone back to her, which has been awesome after all these years, you know, I guess six years away. And yeah, she's helping me with my comeback. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so work, yeah, no, Maria's got a good squad. So she, yeah, she's been amazing um, help in my career. And oh, it really, m- pretty much most of it all to her, you know, because she really helped me get from that wee teenage girl, the big dream, to, mm. to the big international stage and to two world juniors and three world champs and two Commonwealth Games and the Olympics, you know. So, um, but then obviously kind of come back to her mm. and we'll see what the future holds. But um, we'll yeah, she's she's great. We often hear of the drop-off in teenage girl participation in sport. Mm. Angie, what are your recollections of this personally? Yeah, it's really sad and it's certainly still happening. And yeah, it's happened since I was young. I I remember, you know, there's a lot of juniors that compete up till the 14-year-old age group. So that compete in the mornings, you know, in Christchurch, we have a great interclub system, and um, obviously that was back at QE2 when I was younger. And yeah, heaps of girls and boys competing kind of through those ages. But then I think the drop off in, in both genders happens after that when they go into the afternoons and start you know competing there, but more so in the girls. And I think that's for a number of reasons. I think puberty and kind of body image has a big 
part of that. I think a lot of teenage girls, you know, get worried about how they look or once they, you know, start developing, maybe put on a bit of weight or, you know, those kind of things. And there's this whole stigma that you have to be really skinny, you know, which is not true. You need to be strong. And I think sadly, yeah, the, they go to maybe other sports, which, you know, as, as long as they're doing some sport, I think it's still good. But it's sad that the, the running does seem to not be a big priority between the ages of 15 to 18, you get those big drop-offs and then even more sometimes once they leave high school as well. So I think there's a lot of different reasons in behind it, but I think you know, we just need to keep con- you know concentrating on that gap. And I guess that's what Sam and I are trying to do with our coaching is help those teenage girls continue through and just to love the sport. And, and then you know the ones that start looking at scholarships in America, that's a good way to kind of keep them going. And yeah, so I think th- there's a lot of reasons behind it. But it'll be really good if New Zealand keep working on it. And I think they are doing things now. Um, they've got some new initiatives um, once the kids finish Colgate Games and those kind of events. With They had launch athletics up in Auckland just a month or two ago for the first time for 15 to 16-year-old girls and boys. So that was really yeah. good. Right. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I do think the reasons behind the teenage drop-off is quite hard to nail down. I think an area that is definitely hard to sort of see what happens but is the stalling and progression like it's mm. going to happen with all athletes at some yeah. point, but the extent of it is what varies. And I think there's a number of sort of physical and health changes through the teens and probably more exacerbated for females that can cause that. And it's actually how they overcome that and things like we see things like iron numbers and that being super common to be low, but it's probably really common for people to not pick up on stuff like that and just think that then not improving, they're not getting better. And, but really their ferritin is like seven, so yeah. no wonder they can't. Just one you know? example of <laughs> For it, example, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the similar things, I think there's often a physical blocker that it may never be picked mm-hmm. up. Mm, and mm. I do think it's harder in girls. I think when boys go through puberty, they usually mainly get impro- improvement. Obviously, sometimes they do have mm. a bit of, mm. um, you know, go backwards for a bit or struggle a wee bit with their growth. But generally, you'll see boys around their age just go from being, you know, a fast child to growing into a man. And they get even bigger yeah. improvement. Like mm. some of the boys in our squad have gone from 205 one season to 155 the next kind of thing. Yeah. But whereas the girls will often maybe mm. slow down for a couple of years when they go through puberty. And, and I know myself, when I was 15, I went from running 210 at 14 to 220 most of the season at 15. And I think eventually... And that's tough, isn't it? Because you're doing it, the yeah. same amount of training, maybe that's, even more. That's right. And the time's getting worse. Mm. And yeah. people who are younger than you, it's like, because yeah. traditionally, you'd be beating people that are older than you. Yeah, that's right. You know, as a, as a, like a 14-year-old, you're probably beating people who are 15 mm. and 16 and go, yeah. Yeah. And now you're... 15 and 13 year olds might be beating That's you. Right. And that and you wonder what's gone wrong. Yeah. Like, or maybe I'm just not fast anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> it definitely happens uncle. that girls can actually have like backward progression for sure. And that's not mm. uncommon. Whereas guys, it's very rare really that you have actual backward progression. It does happen for reasons that yeah. they definitely can improve yeah. from, but it's more common in the males that will have big jumps, big jumps, and then a year where, it, like an 800, for example, it's like one or two seconds yeah. because I think the testosterone boost kind of disguises a lot of the issues mm. that will plague girls in that. Yeah. Mm. Sam, for yourself, did you see like a steady progression each year? Because obviously, you know, you were, you were mentioning before about you know wanting to be competitive. Mm. It was a constant improvement, but with not at a constant rate. Okay. So, like um, for me, the biggest jump was from what age would it have been from fourteen to fifteen. For me, was the mm. biggest age, and that's common for a lot of boys to be a year or so either side of that. I definitely remember like being in the under fifteen age group in the UK, and like that's when you see huge differences in physical development. Mm. And 
I think that's a big challenge for males is it's really obvious a physical development change there. Like some kids are like some kids 14 is what another kid's 17 will be. Yeah. Mm. yeah, you see it on the start line, don't you? you see mm. little boys that are like only up to someone else's, you know, yeah. not even the, or you know shoulder height or below, um, you know, and, and and then there's like a big man who's already got a you know maybe a beard kind of, you know, it's a huge difference in those age and those boys, mm. but then the following year the other boy will grow and it's yeah. definitely interesting because they can't the boost from getting bigger, but there's also a massive coordination challenge. Yes, mm. you did, like it's normally a good a six month delay, and then you get the big spike in performance once they're brain and muscles mm. have caught up with the skeleton. Yeah. I remember that very clearly. That's what I was saying before. I felt really unco for a year. That's the main way I'd describe <laughs> it. I felt like, you know, sluggish and unco. Like I just, my yeah. arms and legs weren't working together. And I remember Maria mm. kind of commenting on some of my drills, like, oh, you mm. know, kind of what's happened. Like, not in a mean way. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, and I think it's good for teenagers to know that, that they'll get through it. You know, it's just a matter of, of time and just exactly. persevering through it. And, you know, it might take a year to get through it. It might take a few years, but you will get back to your best and, and be even better. When you look back to your early adult days, did you imagine a decade on that you would be coaching almost daily and far from the UK as well, Sam? The first potential of looking of anything being overseas was when I decided on my degree, which would have been 2000, early 2010, late 2009, when I was first looking at any option to go overseas, but at the time it was definitely looking at it as just doing the placement. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really ever considered moving until I came here in that placement yeah. year. But on the coaching front, I do remember as a teenager, like in the groups, I always thought I'd be really would quite enjoy to coach. Like I was always a kid that would count in the rep, like count down to 10 seconds and stuff to the start <laughs> of it. But yeah, even with the older boys and that, I don't know, I just kind of liked sort of directing when we were going a bit and stuff. And but. he loves his stats as well, I must say. Yeah. I, I didn't used to be very good at knowing times and who was the best around the world at different events. And But Sam, ever since I met him, he's great with stats and he still is, is and that's his kind of quality in the coaching. I've learned a lot more since. But, um, he's your wiki. He, yeah, he, he'll know, you know, what times is good and what, you know, all these kind of things. So with training, that's really helpful as well. Awesome. Yeah, I never really thought about coaching, to be honest, when I was younger. Yeah, Sam, obviously, maybe had thought about it a bit more, but I think I thought, well, I do so much running that, that you know that's kind of my time and then uh, work-wise I wanted to be a primary school teacher initially mm-hmm. and then with um, my, I guess my running I couldn't really do that because I was overseas so much competing and the you know throughout the academic year because June to August most years mm-hmm. I was over there for like eight years in a row in Europe racing so I thought well I've got to do something else so I, I did my BA in education and then I thought well I, couldn't, uh, I was going to do the extra year to do teaching but decided just to do personal training I was working at Anytime Fitness in Hornby and then, yeah, that was actually where we were at the coaching started because one of the guys in the gym asked me if I'd take some running sessions at the local track in Hunawai. <laughs> and that was, he was an, an adult, you know, so that was for adults. Well, for anyone initially, we put it on Facebook. And I think that day we had like three adults and three kids turn up. Mm. So it was kind of an interesting mix. And actually, Elspeth McGuinness, she arrived that day and she's obviously she still, was the first. she was our mm-hmm. first athlete. So, yeah, and then the, the adults ended up kind of dwindling out, not being super, you know, very enthusiastic about training, not very motivated, but the kids just mm. grew and grew and yeah, grew. Par- adults bring their children though I'll get, yeah. I'll get the children to do the exercise themselves. watch and, yeah. and stand around and have a talk yeah. it's probably worth noting actually that like you saying about thinking about coaching my gateway into coaching was through swimming actually like oh, so okay. I started with White House Swim Club coaching there um, seven years ago mm-hmm. six years ago and ended up being head coach of the club it's a really good learning experience interacting with parents and kids that regularly and mm. 
So it was a very good sort of first introduction into a coaching environment. It gave me a lot of skills I could then take forward to when we Absolutely. ended up doing Team Petty. What have been your key learnings as your journey as coaches has unfolded? Angie, we'll go with you first. Teenagers can be <laughs> hard work. <laughs> no, we love them really. When I was a teenager, I was sure I was hard work for Maria at times, but no, they obviously, they bring us a lot of joy as well and we absolutely love coaching. But there is obviously the, the side of it where, you know, maybe they, you know, they're just as teenagers, they want to have a bit of fun and, and sneak out when they shouldn't or <laughs> after nationals or something like that. Yeah, I guess it's, it's much more than just standing at the track with a stopwatch. I think there's a lot more that happens away from the track as well and especially with the older athletes, you know, it's a lot more time involved with contact throughout the week and in and maybe helping them go through other things in their life where it's needed, obviously. Um, obviously, there's other people that can help them too. But yeah, there's a lot to it. And obviously, the programming side, we use Training Peaks, which is a great website or app that you can have to put all the training in. So obviously, especially for our older ones. So, you know, you have the group sessions with two a week. So it's, it's a lot of structure and a lot of communication, a lot of planning, obviously looking at the, the big year view first, making sure you're getting the, the peaking right for different times of year mm. that, that you want them to be at their best for nationals and things like that, helping them reach their goals. But also being aware that they are still young, that you don't want them to overtrain, you know, and you want them to come through and obviously looking at how long they've been in the sport. So, you know, age and stage, not just age mm -hmm. and all that. There's a lot to it. So it's been a lot of learning, um, a lot of communication, communicating with parents as well as kids, as, as Sam kind of touched yeah. on before. Yeah, we just really enjoy the whole journey. Um, but there are definitely ups and downs and, you know, being able to manage with disappointment after races and things like that too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all good learning and, yeah. Um, we've still got lots to learn as well. <laughs> encouraging, not pushing, yeah. and being supportive when things don't, as you were mentioning before, Sam, when you know the expectations aren't met. And sometimes yeah. the expectations may not be the ones you've given yeah. them. Mm. It might maybe some of their mates, for example, or it might have been what they've seen on YouTube. Or, or, or Strava. <laughs> Stra Strava can be a bit of a problem. Or, they see what the, all the other boys yeah. are doing around the country or whatever. And, of course, we're trying to be quite careful of mileage and intensity and things like that. But, you know, some of, some of the other yeah. boys might be doing over 100k weeks at 16. Well, we say that's too much for you. You don't need to be doing that at 16. You know, yeah. you want to increase to that. There's still the social so. pressure to match what yeah. other people that they yeah. see and competing with. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the thing that I've learned is to message more. <laughs> yeah. The kids need uh, me to use social media to contact them. Yeah. They, they don't, the kids don't do text. They do <laughs> Instagram <laughs> message yeah. or uh, Snapchat message. If I don't do that, Angie does that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And occasionally Facebook message, but that's getting unfashionable. Yeah, yes. that's true. Yeah, it's more of an oldies. And sometimes yeah. you almost get more from them through message, maybe than at the track when they're in front of everyone. They prefer to talk to you separately afterwards, right. or mm -hmm. you know, yeah. everyone's different. The girls probably a bit more intuitive, <laughs> but yeah. working it all in and and as best we can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's a really hard one to balance because you have to plan a session for a perfect situation of a week of a yeah. kid that's in a right training cycle exactly. that's getting out of it, and obviously you always plan to the maximal extent and best shape for that day, mm. or recovery state or fitness state. But you need to be, what we found is open with the kids and have the conversation with you to that they're not afraid to say that I'm not recovered, I'm feeling mm. tired. Exactly. Or even sometimes yeah. asking them specifically at the start yeah. of the session, yeah. how do you feel on a scale of 1 to 10? We yeah. probably don't always do that enough. Trying to make tasks. the environment yeah. open that they can talk because... 
Yeah, otherwise there's a heavy responsibility on the coach to be able to check in on every athlete exactly. and make the decision. But a big part of it is educating the athlete on mm-hmm. being able to make the decision himself. And obviously mm-hmm. they're not going to be making the right decisions at 12 or 13. But mm-hmm. hopefully by the time they're halfway through their high school, they know yeah. when too much is too much. You know, and that's what we always say that as well. As, uh, seeing the athlete train is so much better than if you're just doing it by distance because then you can see if they look really tired, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to do less reps today or you don't even need to do these reps or whatever, you exactly. know, you can – and sometimes you know, let's say you're giving them five four hundreds, and they're on their third or fourth rep, and they really want to finish a session because oh, but it says five on my program. But yeah. no, actually, doing four today is more beneficial for you than mm. than doing you know too much. So I guess it's looking at that. But also, we always say the amount that we have on training peaks is the maximum amount of training. Never do more. You're welcome to do less. You know, if you're tired one day, right. just don't do your run yeah. or do less or let us know. Mm. Give us a ring if you need to. Like we always try and be very open with communication and contact us whenever. Yeah, this is the as you were saying, Sam. This is the <laughs> ideal max. Yeah. yeah. Then this is what you need to do, mm. you know, come hell or high water kind mm. of thing. Yeah. yeah. And also women's cycles, obviously, but that's another whole story altogether, mm. you know, taking that into account of, you know, a girl leading into her periods not feeling great or, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Obviously, need to adapt it mm. for that too. It's important to not get in that mindset of just slogging away hard, as hard as you can every session to. Yeah. Try and get something out of it. Keep, mm-hmm. And that's why they need yeah. to keep the easy runs easy, you know, mm-hmm. rather than racing them and trying to get Strava sequence, you know. Sometimes <laughs> I say it's the, you know, obviously yeah. different paces, but slow runs can be mm-hmm. 530s. And we're talking about girls that are really fast. Mm-hmm. So 530s is quite fast for some yeah. people, but for them, that is quite a slow mm-hmm. jog. But yeah. it's actually, you know, sticking to those paces and, or heart rate, you know, looking at your heart rate and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. We had Caden on the show, Caden Shields, of course, one of the best marathoners we have in the country. And mm-hmm. he was saying that. Almost always his runs start with a 5.30 or 6-minute K. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If you were a coach of your younger self, what would you advise yourself to do differently? I think having lived in the UK, trained and raced in that system, trained and raced in the New Zealand system and had a small amount of exposure to how things work in America, it's been really helpful to gaining a broader understanding than if I have been based in a single location. Yeah, yeah I guess the exampling sort of the amalgamation of different things that we've seen and been involved with is in our warm-up routines. They're really a combination of different parts from three or four coaches that we've each mm-hmm. worked with. And I've heard it said before, you know, cherry-picking the best bits, but it's, it's hopefully the skill as the coach that we're learning is to... Mm combine it in a way that's actually cohesive together rather than just picking something that's good and trying to bung it onto mm-hmm. something else. But try and enjoy the full range of racing and mm-hmm. in, enjoy the performances as I took them. I, I always felt like I wanted a, like a little bit more. I wasn't like terrible with it as I got to my late teens, but in my mid-teens, I just wanted to perform well all the time. But and to try and enjoy the longer races, like the cross-country stuff, where I knew I wasn't going to do well, but still take enjoyment out of going out there with friends and racing the race. But then on the more detailed end of it, looking back, I needed to jog more. Like I did the sessions well and I did supplementary stuff with swimming and that, but I didn't learn to easy jog properly as I probably should have done. Like I probably only ran like consistently maybe 40K a week right mm. through school, maybe hit 50, but generally less. But because I was running less at that age, you can get away with doing the two runs at a week, moderate effort. Yeah. Mm. But I think my body needed easy jogging in the body to mm. give longevity. Because now you struggle with um, injury a wee bit, eh? so I think maybe 
his body just wasn't strong from doing maybe enough easy mm. running. So mm. yeah. And Angie, how about yourself? Yeah, um, I guess it would be just it's hard to sum up in one line. I think you can take two. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess it would it, it would be from how to manage pressures and how to manage pre-race anxiety you know I think a lot of teenagers still get very nervous I mean Mm. I still get nervous before races but trying to turn that into excited nerves rather than dreading nerves avoid Uh, races too much for those that are getting nervous I think is a big thing yeah stay in a racing environment so you don't get scared of a racing environment yeah and I think actually racing reasonably regularly is quite good you know Mm. if you only want to do the really you know every now and again then it becomes such a big thing to race but you know having the interclubs every week is good it helps the kids get used to it get used to Mm. the kind of whole process Um, it makes them realise perhaps that it's not such a big deal. Even your perhaps your season, let alone your career as an athlete, is not yeah. going to crash or fall on on one in the club, for example. That's for right. Okay. And I think not putting too much pressure on yourself, whether that's your own personal pressure, but also from other people, making sure you've got a good team around you. And I'm very fortunate that I have had that. Mm. Um, people that believe in you. Um, and just not putting too much emphasis on, as you say, having to be at your best as a teenager. Some some kids will be amazing at 13, 14 and continue to be amazing right through, but some won't come through until their 20s or even 30s and be their best. I know mm. Katrina Bissett from Australia, you know, she was – She's run 158 now and, yeah. you know, a very, very good international athlete. But she was only running 210 about four or five years ago as a girl in her early to mid-20s and then suddenly mm. had a huge, like, 10-second improvement in a season mm. or two once she decided to ex- focus more. But there's lots of different reasons as well. We all yeah. peak at different ages. So I think just enjoy the sport and don't worry about the times all come. Um, there's always yeah. masters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, we've got plenty of time. So <laughs> Sam... There's so much going on in your life. Your day job, your coaching, training, fathering, being a supportive husband. What has impressed me is your passion for the sport and for learning as much as you can about how other athletes are performing and how you can improve your knowledge and your coaching. So how do you find the time for that? Uh, Difficultly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's definitely the challenges. Combining it all together so that each area is given enough attention. Mm. And that's what I found when I was working at the pool store. I was coaching. Like I was the head coach at the pool. I was leading the majority of the sessions at the Canterbury Triathlon Academy. We'd started Team Petty. I was training. This is before we had an Azalea, but still it was stretched too thin. And I, had, like, I could tell that each area was starting to suffer. Mm. And it's important to be able to decide to not continue with a certain area, I think, to ensure that you feel you can give enough to one area. Otherwise, you just feel like each area not being able to give enough to and people yeah. are missing out on what you could be giving to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you ended up changing job, didn't you, from the pool? Yeah, I gradually phased out of the pool and moved away from head coach and then moved out of the club and then basically now right. I've moved out of the pool because like the real passion lies in triathlon and primarily running. Mm. But those two work really cohesively together. Next steps. There are a number of amazing mums, we've, spoke, we've touched on this briefly, out there who have been world beaters, who are world beaters. Having a family is certainly not a career-ending event. Mm. It didn't happen for Mo Farah on the men's side. <laughs> and on the women's, we have examples of Alison Felix, Shelley-Anne Fraser-Price, Faith Kapiagon, to name a few of the highly successful running mums. So... Angie, what mm. are your 
next to goals. Yeah, you're right. Those women really inspire me, and there's heaps of other women actually as well that that um, you know, do run super well after having children. And I think it's really good for any mother to know, or any woman that's thinking about having children, that it doesn't mean you have to finish your career once mm. you know once you do have children, or don't have to finish your hobby and enjoyment of running. So I think, as I said before, physiologically, there is actually, I guess, evidence showing that you can run faster after having children. I think to do with the hormones, red blood cell production and things like that. And also maybe just perspective and things. You've got this, this very precious human to, to, to bring up, so you don't stress so much about maybe smaller things. And mm. so, no, those women really inspire me, and I want to give it a good go and see if I can run fast after having a baby. But I've got a lot of work to do because I have run, you know, 159 and 407 and, you know, been in those international teams. So I'd love to get back to that. But if not, I just want to enjoy the sport. Yeah, I guess I don't want to always wonder what I could do. So... I feel like it's going in the right direction and I'm still really enjoying it. I'm loving training with Maria's group and having other women to train with and I love the coaching side when I was coaching and you know pregnant and not able to race myself. I just missed it. So it shows that I still should be out there and I think at the end of the day, why you still enjoy it, you might as well keep doing it. So, <laughs> Well, we wish you the very best with that and, and to you, Sam, um, <laughs> sub four. Yeah, and no, definitely um, to um, – <laughs> Take that one off. I think for me, that's still my bare minimum running goal to complete before I get mm-hmm. too old for it to break fourth in a mile. But I'd obviously love to go further and make teams and stuff. But yeah, getting under four is that kind of minimum goal to feel I've kind of made that running achievement in my Sorry. career. But and yeah. maybe he can do it with some of our teenagers that we coach. Yeah, well, I've got to be yeah. into it at least. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you'll be the first one there. Fantastic. Sam and Angie, thanks so much to both of you for sharing your running and coaching journeys with us on Running Together. Thank you so much yeah, for having thank us. Thank you. It was great. We always love talking about running. <laughs> <laughs> and love hearing all the other ones mm. about running too. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And thanks. And all the very best in the future. Mm.